picture. What star is that? Peace of the planet Earth. You know what it is. You know what I'm saying? Bishop Chronicles. Uh, chilling the most, as always, trying to have, you know, the, the conversations that matter. You know, like, I know the world is crazy, presidential politics, wooty wap and sometimes uh, I talk about that, but I try not to. You know when you come here, I try not to talk about that because, you know, you don't get that all day, right? You're going to get that all day. What you're not going to get is West Coast scholarship at the highest levels from one of the best in the game I have Dr. Jeffrey O.G. Ogbar on today. He's the author of Hip Hop Revolution, The Culture and the Politics of Rap. And we are going to talk about something that has influenced me massively and influenced you massively and influenced West Coast music from the beginning when it comes to hip hop. I'm talking about crack. Dr. Ogbar, welcome to the Bishop Chronicles. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Man, uh... I'm really, I'm really happy uh, that, that you're on the show, man. Uh, he and I met at San Jose State when he was talking uh, at an event that Dr. William Armaline put on. In fact, he's going to be on soon. Uh, Armaline's going to be on soon. Um, he was actually on right before George Floyd popped off crazy. Mm. And then like there was something wrong with the audio, man. And so we had to scrap it. And so we're going to redo it. And so it's actually kind of better. I'm actually glad that happened because now, you know what I'm saying? Given everything mm -hmm. that happened since, because that was before the George Floyd riots popped off. I think the mm -hmm. incident had popped off and not the riot. So, um, wow. you know, I'm glad that he introduced us, man. I'm glad that he introduced us. But that was where I saw him give an amazing talk about West Coast rap, the politics of the time, and the impact of crack on like lyrics and laws. And so, man, I just want to thank you for being on the show. Absolute pleasure to be here, you know, and um, it was really cool being at that conference because, you know, it was now eight years ago, 2012. I know. And, I, know. Uh, I could still grow hair in my head back then, man. And so uh, you just got the times have changed. <laughs> and uh, but in many ways, things have not changed. We have, you know, the issues that we were talking about at this conference on human rights. You know, mm. My presentation was about mass incarceration, the prison industrial complex. And as you noted, hip hop has engaged this. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is that Long before, you know, Michelle Alexander did her fantastic book, before you had the Sentencing Project, which actually is a nonprofit organization looking at prison discrepancies, policing discrepancies. Yeah. Uh, long before you have uh, many of these nonprofit organizations and think tanks that have explored the consequences of mass incarceration right. and the so-called war on drugs, right. hip-hop was talking about it. Before we even had Early. stop and frisk and circulation, you know, yeah. the... the 38 years ago this summer, uh, Grandmaster Flash of Furious Five came out with a message, but that song talks about the art of policing all the way mm -hmm. through, um, you know, being incarcerated. But the video ends with the police in New York City moving them off the block for no reason. And you right. see them uh, being harassed by the popo early on yeah. in this video. So there, there's, there's social critique in a way that you don't find in any other genre of music over the last 40 years. And so you're right on the money. So when you talk about the crack scourge, the, the this epidemic that swept our communities in the 1980s, right. uh, in particular into the early 90s right. as well. 
uh, you know, hip hop was there documenting every facet of it. Right. It's really crazy. Right. It's really crazy. Like, um, um, you know, for me, you know, I remember when I bought dope man, like from NWA, I remember how crazy it was. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm black and I'm West coast, but I am rather suburban. Uh, my family, you know, lives in different hoods, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like everybody's family do pretty much if you're black or Latino, but like, I knew what was happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, Oh, that's a door. That's so that's what they're doing up the street from granny's house. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause you'd be like, get off the court. You can't be at the park. You know, there was this park in Lakeview. My grandma was like, she lived on Capitol and she was like, don't go to the park, you know? And then not long after that, the first time I saw crack and the first time I saw somebody smoke crack, I was in high school, but I was in a car with these fools who bought the crack at the park that my grandma said never go to. And I remember when we pulled up, I was like, all these dudes could kill us if they want. And I didn't know what they were buying. You know what I mean? I was just in the car. And then we went to this other dude's old job. He, 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 uh, he worked in a, he was a mechanic. And we went back into his mechanic spot and then he was smoking crack in the back. And I was like, oh, oh, this is, this is that dope man stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got it. And when you look at Above the Law, you look at the Ghetto Boys, all of this stuff was really huge. For me, this connection in, between music and drugs starts with the song, The Bataram. Oh. Can you can you talk about the battle ram? Boom. Yeah, boom. yeah. Now, if you West Coast, you better get on YouTube. If you don't know it, you better get the battle ram and listen to that song. Now, you might not like the beat, you might think the flow is whatever, but if you pay attention to the theme of that song, tell us what that song is about, sir. So yeah, I, I got animated because the the song was uh, it was probably the you know I don't even know it's the very first song. It's probably the first song out of LA to get radio play, at least, that mm -hmm. talked about this. It's not the first song to talk about war on drugs. You had 8 Million Stories, you had White Lines, you had even, right. um, even The Message in 82. But it's actually probably the first, certainly, West Coast song to talk about this. So this is in 1986. So what happened after the Olympics, you know, Summer Olympics came to Los Angeles in 1984, and the LAPD, they were able to get some, some military, some excess military materials because they want to be prepared for whatever might pop Terror off. Attack or whatever Olympics, may happen. Right. And so they ended up getting a modified military, like this V-100 six-ton semi-tank vehicle from the Vietnam War, which is crazy. So we talk about the militarization wow. of the police. LAPD had been on the cutting edge, although it's not the largest at the time, was, uh, I would suspect New York and Chicago would have been larger police departments. But the police department, although not the largest in the country, it was at the spearhead of the militarization of the police. Mm, beginning with that's SWAT. interesting. Yeah, so, uh, you know, special, wep we uh, special weapons and tactics, SWAT, of course, comes out of LAPD. And when, when SWAT emerged, you know, it was dealing with radical organizations, uh, Cybernese Liberation Army, of course. These, yeah. They were like nutcases, but, you know, these, these folks that were right. associated with the left. But you had, of course, shootouts with the, with the Panthers. You had a massacre of, 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 uh, of Muslims in, in uh, early 1960s. Mm -hmm. And so you have the police in L.A., like other police departments, really, really hostile to black people, hostile to Latinos. You have the the Chicano blowouts, uh, protests in the Vietnam War and Chicanos in the Vietnam War. Right. War. 
as well. So you had a lot of different things going on. The and before that, there was like the Zoot Suit Riots. Zoot Suit right? Riots in 1943, yeah. So you, you, have, you have a long history of, of hostility uh, with the police and communities of color. But when the militarization of the police accelerated, right? So when the rise of Black power and Chicano power in the 1960s, early 1970s, you have a rise of the, the militarization of the police that then accelerated the 1980s with the uh, with you know crack, but mm-hmm. also you have the intersection just by luck. You have this you know the Olympics coming there and mm-hmm. LAPD then getting this vehicle, this tank from the Vietnam War, and they acquired the vehicle in 1984, and then they started to after the after the uh, Olympics were over, they were like, hey, let's keep this and see what we can do with it and in case you know things get dicey we have this tank. right we got this tank how many there. people yeah how many people got a tank right and tanks That's are cool just, yeah and they don't I mean, need keys do you know you don't need a key for a tank if you get in the tank you just go click and you off i had no idea yeah <laughs> so, you don't need keys just hop in and go right <laughs> so so they got, got this tank and they decide to to add this this big long battering ram thing to it yeah and so like normally you would have a tank that shoots out this had kind of like a it was kind of like a big square, right? It was like a big kind of rectangle and it would puncture walls yeah. and then pull stuff out, right? Exactly. So it had this, this big sort of thing on, at the, the tip of it and it would you know, pierce through. So they modified the tank. And again, it was, it was classified as a semi-tank, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they would use this and identify places that were considered uh, drug Dope dens houses. or yeah. crack houses, right? So they used this with Daryl Gates with the chief of police they say we'll have these raids against these uh, crack houses in our war on drugs. And so the interesting thing is that they had these raids that were like Breonna Taylor, and this is how, how much history repeats itself, where they ended up in the wrong houses and they would end up finding hardly anything. So one of the raids, they um, burst into a home, destroying the home, but they found two women, three children, and this Gestapo-like raid, uh, they found a nine-year-old boy eating ice cream and so these police come out, come in, militarized police. We mm. think about the sort of trauma mm. of these people. And the little boy is there in the living room. He's, you know, pleading for the right. police not to shoot. So this, when this happens with the living room, they destroy everything. They yell to the, this little child, shut up, shut up. You know what's going on here. And so the police found no weapons, no cocaine, no heroin, no heavy drugs. They found a little bit of weed. Which they could have found in any dorm right, room, right, 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 right. They could have gone to UCLA, USC. Right, right. Yeah, that's Greenwood. not. Yeah, it's, you ain't anything. making no. You ain't making no sizable bus. We're not fixing to get to yeah. El Chapo because of that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and in fact, it was not even marijuana for distribution, right? Right. So it was like a personal use level. Yeah. And so when they arrested these two women who were in the house, and they placed the children in state custody. And so we think about the sort of when we think about the draconian reach of the LAPD with the battering ram, and you think about how traumatic it was, how frightening it was, but just how abusive it was, right? That this whole thing unfolded. And as a child, I'm, so this is 1986, so I'm 16, 17. And when this happened, I remember, you know, seeing this kind of stuff in the news, bam, Toddy T came out with the reporting. Toddy T, ram. brother, battering so, ram. That's yeah. West Coast gangster music for real, <laughs> early. Yeah, yeah, early on. And so I think when you look at like Toddy T's song, it's a song that, is very descriptive. And the way I use in my class, in my hip hop classes, I talk about the drug trade being explored really in three different frames. One, the sort of valorization frame where mm-hmm. you have someone like uh, Migos, you know, just mm-hmm. talking about, um, you know, Narcos and their song right. Narcos. So, sort of, or, you know, was, was, um, this, this dude, 
I'm in love with the Coco. Um, what's my man's name? Uh, I'm in love with the Coco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, OT Genesis, right? Yeah, so, yeah, OT, yeah. OT Genesis song, I'm in love with the Coco, Fetty Wap, Trap Queen. These songs are Now, songs. Genesis is from L.A. too, ain't he? I don't know where he's from, man. That's a good I thought question. he was from, think, for some reason, I think because I saw LA. Snoop Dogg with him, I just assumed, I just yeah. assumed he was West Coast, but. Yeah, so, so, but you know, those are songs that in those three different frames, the sort of valorization frame, it glorifies the drug trade. This is great. There's not really any discussion of the deleterious consequences of the addicts who consume the drugs or the people who are selling the drugs or the, the war on drugs, right? Just mm. sort of like, I'm in love with the cocoa. I get money. I get riches. Right. I get women, but they don't call them women. So right. all this is a sort of the, the, the wonders and joy of selling crack, right? And then the next level is the, um, the cautionary tale, which mm. is what we get from... Uh, a whole bunch of songs from back in the day. Would Dope Man be considered that? To some extent it is, right? Then you got the descriptive. So the, the, yeah, the, yeah. just to go with the cautionary tale, a classic cautionary tale is Ghetto Boys, Mind Playing, My Mind Playing Tricks, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, Scarface is not only selling drugs and not only the, are the, the two first uh, verse uh, narratives are they selling drugs, but they're dealing with the consequences of it. They're dealing with guilt. They're dealing with paranoia. They're dealing with, even if they don't talk about the addicts themselves, which Night of the Living Base has talked about, right. which Ryan's talked about, right? So you have songs where actually talked about the effects of that, you know, Slow Down with Brand Nubian. So they talked about what it right. was, addicts, and how their bodies were destroyed. They gave everything. They, they, they sacrificed their bodies. They mm-hmm. sacrificed their families, their livelihoods. So it was about just the destructive power of crap. Right, like Night of Living Base heads, right? Classic song that was, again, the cautionary tale. Yeah. But then you, you have this sort of just descriptive, like, this is what's going on, right? And Toddy T is a classic sort of, this is what's going mm-hmm. on. He talks about it without the sort of, it's not a, and sometimes they can intersect the songs, but this song is a classic. Like, this is, it's like a CNN, like Chuck D says. It's reporting. Insiders. On. Yeah. Yeah. Expose. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's very powerful, you know? And then the other thing, the, the, the you know, two songs that really speak to me about, another aspect of the crack game and this deals with the infrastructure and the role of north america there you go <laughs> there you go. there, you go. You there you go. In the background. There it's too. all good hey how you doing <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> is 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 ghetto boys my city's under siege mm. right because in that song like he mentions noriega all good all good <laughs> it might be a little distracting so no, no 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 it's fine it's fine it's fine with all these lines on my face no man. i know it's all good um, so in Cities Under Siege, right? My City's Under Siege, you know, they talk about Reagan and the Noriegas. Like they talk like in depth and it was really crazy because this was before Cocaine Cowboys. This was before, you know what I'm saying? Like people really knew who Freeway Rick was. I'm talking about in the mainstream, on the streets, yes. You know what I'm saying? Um, that was a very powerful song. And then the crazy thing was, I don't know if you remember, but on the cover of Above the Laws album, which to me was Dre's greatest production mm. of that style. Like before he came with the chronic funk stuff, that album by Above the Law was a masterpiece of like sampling funk and soul. And I mean, yeah. it was just a master. It was, it was, it was better than Straight Outta Compton to me from a mm. production perspective. Mm. But on that album cover, it's made up like a, a magazine cover. And it says, where is Freeway Rick? And I remember, uh, right, being like, who is Freeway Rick? Like, I had I no idea. That. Yes. I know that's that. on the so cover. Above the law? Really? Above the law. If you pull up Living Like Hustlers, wow. it'll say, where's Freeway Rick? Question mark. Right? I love that song, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right? 
No, to beat everything, yeah. It was just, it was just, yeah. Man, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. You know what I'm saying? They were hard. <laughs> like, above the law was hard, but yeah, yeah, shout right. out to Layla, 187, yeah. you know what I'm saying, KMG, know. you know what I'm saying, Chaos, the Go Mac, everybody. Um, that was a hell of an album. But the thing is, I remember years later, I was working as a paralegal for uh, a civil rights attorney, and that's when the whole member, oh, man, I feel bad, I'm forgetting his name. Who was the journalist that broke the whole noriega thing remember and then he ended up dead web uh, web gary webb gary, gary webb. webb right so gary webb look san his jose name up. gary webb he 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 writes some books and some articles that came out of san jose san right jose san jose mercury, mercury right news right and i was working in san jose so mm. once i did that now here's what's crazy i knew a lady who worked on the same floor when I when I when I brought that story to her, she was so hood, even though she worked in 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 law. She was like, "I used to work for Freeway Ray." I said, "Stop playing." She was like, "I did." She goes, "I know I'm hella broke and I'm just doing all this right now." She goes, "But I saved up enough money and I have it buried in case anything happens to me." I said, "You lying?" She was like, "No." She told me all kind of stuff about what it was like in that time, and it wasn't until Gary Webb. I think that we, that I began to understand what City Under Siege by Ghetto Boys meant and what that, I said, that's Freeway Rick. She's like, yes, that's the same dude. I was like, oh my God, right? Wow. And then you go from that to having the existence of Rick Ross, who is a CEO on the under, who beats up DJ Vlad and ends up paying for DJ Vlad's whole ability to create Vlad TV. Like mm -hmm. if, 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 if Vlad doesn't get that picture of Rick Ross as a CEO, Vlad TV doesn't exist because mm. the beating that he took got him the money to create Vlad TV. Isn't that crazy? See, money. Wow. Wow. Isn't that crazy? It. That's wild, man. That's a true story, homie. Wow. But what yeah. I'm saying, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I think this is absolutely fascinating. I mean, the, uh, but go ahead with the story. So, so what I'm saying is it wasn't until Gary Webb's stories and his, and, and his subsequent, you know, people think that the government killed him. You know, yeah. people say that to this day because he died under two odd shots. circumstances two shots to the head and it was ruled a suicide yeah i was like yeah so someone can like shoot themselves once oh, my bad like, hold on i didn't do it good I enough <laughs> and so i thought it was like wild wildly suspicious as well i remember reading about it and yeah uh they were like yeah nah man some people can commit suicide by busting shooting themselves twice in the head instead of just the usual ones they want to do yeah. it yeah yeah which I, i'm not an enemy it sounds preposterous and absurd right me. Again, I'm not an enemy. I don't know how the human body operates. Right. I'm not it's good seen. with CSI. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But uh, to me, it sounds wildly suspicious. Like, <sighs> they revenge is best served cold. So there are some people who felt they need to wait a few years and, uh, and catch them slipping later. So, so it, uh, you know, when you, when you think about hip-hop, like, to what degree would you say crack cocaine influenced hip-hop like if someone had no idea of the relationship what would be like three things you would say like if you've never considered this before here are three things you might consider or look into what would they be three things uh, early on the aesthetics of hip-hop the business model of hip-hop and certainly the lyrical content of hip-hop like if, if you we did not have crack um even people who are not, let's look at like Run DMC. They weren't mm -hmm. talking about the joys of selling crack. Uh, right, right. Eric B and Rakim weren't talking about the joys of selling crack. Uh, Big Daddy Kane wasn't talking about the joys of selling crack. 
Right. The only people in New York City who walk around with big giant dope gold chains were always were crackheads. I mean crack dealers, sorry. Dealers. Always I mean, the dealers. All, always the dealers. So so if you were if you were a successful medical doctor and you were black from Queens, uh, you do not walk around with big old giant gold chains, right? If you were a successful um, you know, l- lawyer, right? Say, say you were Cornell West with your PhD from Harvard, right. you were caking. You're with, doing it. You know, and you're black with an afro. You do not have a big ass giant gold chain with like a four finger ring, right? And and the only people and you didn't see Magic Who did Johnson, that. You did not see NBA. You did not see Magic Johnson from the '80s walking around with a big old giant thick gold chain. That's so true. Uh, uh, Dr. J wasn't doing that, right? So, Blood. so the only, people, only people who had that aesthetic were drug dealers, and that influenced early aesthetics and hip hop in terms of my ability to demonstrate my conspicuous success with military, mm-hmm. with, uh, with uh, uh, material sort of extravagance. Uh, so that was, that was one element, right? The second thing about the business model, there's a book called uh, Nothing But a G Thing by Ethan Quinn. And she, she looks into early hip hop um, um, sort of labels. Mm-hmm. So it's a Rap-A-Lot Records with Jay Prince. She looks at... Um, uh, Ruthless Records with Easy E, mm-hmm. and what she finds is that a lot of the hip hop folks had either directly been tied to the drug trade or familiar with it in other ways, to the point that they understood um, sales, distribution, mm-hmm. business, and they understood that uh, they can create their own legitimate business models by their familiarity with the illicit drug trade. Right. And it wasn't always crack. It might be weed, right? Right, and right, true. So, but they, they understood it. And so it helped them do things that had not been done in any genre of music ever. So, mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll say this before, I'll say this again, that of all the elements of what we might consider genius in, in hip hop, mm-hmm. I think the most overlooked is the genius we might see in the business, right? Mm-hmm. So if you speak at, to that, bro. Let's just be, and if we look at the, just the science, right? If you say, um, if we look at the labels like uh, Ruthless Records or we look at Rockefeller Records or Cash Money or No Limit, we find people who were young black males in their right. 20s who right. had never graduated college, but they, in fact, had distribution deals and ownership mm-hmm. of masters mm-hmm. at rates that people who had degrees from Harvard Business School, from Wharton, right. We're not able to negotiate for Madonna, for Kenny Rogers, for you know a whole bunch of other people. So they were able to to make like money and resources that people in jazz and blues and gospel and R and B and house and go go. Right. Look at look at look at look at Little Richard and James Brown and all the you know what I'm saying all the fights that they had. Sly Stone. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Um, very so, powerful. That's a really yeah. compelling. Uh, Right I mean, just just look i mean just look at the numbers you look at someone like jay-z who now is you know worth a billion dollars and you know this guy's worth more than trump and you know he and trump were both both born in new york city trump was born on third base he was running downhill and skates with the wind to his back right he had every single advantage that a human being could have on a planet earth when that man was born right uh ha- except for being born to royalty in europe that guy had, he was born it's to true. That's a fair statement. At, at his point in time in human history, there's no one who had more single sort of advantages working for him. But you think about someone like, like Jay-Z. 
born and bred in some of the most violent circumstances. Marcy Projects, boy. Marcy Projects in Brooklyn, and not Marcy Projects in the 60s or in the 2000s. In the 80s, boy, when it was grime, grizzle, man. I mean, it's hard. So, so with, under these circumstances where you have, you know, the most repressive uh, carceral state in the history of peacetime in the planet Earth, where people in this community are targeted in, in sort of remarkable rates, this guy with all these things against him, right? A single parent household in deep poverty, in public housing. Massive violence. Massive violence. So this guy could actually do through business acumen with no college degree, achieve what he did is remarkable. And if you can't it's say that- Unbelievable. So I think that, that, that the cracks thing, again, is something that influences. The third thing I would say was, of course, the topical element that you can't, you know, whether you're talking about cautionary tales like uh, Love's Gonna Get You, right? Mm -hmm. Or Love's Gonna Get You. That was a hell of a song. Right? Or almost, or a bit By KRS-One, for those that don't know it. Yeah, thank you very much. 1990, right? And so, or you think about half of Ice Cube's discography, right? My Summer Vacation. I mean, you know, uh, Lil' Last G, uh, what can I do? We go on on Ice Cube's discography where he's engaging different facets of the, the illicit drug trade. And I think that in some ways, you know, hip hop, I can't imagine a world of hip hop as much as I, I mean, and, and I, I don't, I think the sort of cautionary tales that we see with, with Cube or the cautionary mm. tales we saw Public Enemy or mm. Ghetto Boys, they're very different than the tales where someone like, um, uh, some, like, you know, I can say OT Genesis or some of these cats, Fetty Wap or Trap Queen. I keep going back, you know, Migos with these cats. But I think a lot of these songs that celebrate the drug trade and talk about how great it is, how much money yeah. they make, all yeah. that. I'm, I think this is a wildly problematic for all sorts of re- reasons, but the landscape of hip hop's topics, of course, would be very different had it had crack not been around. Yeah. For better or worse. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that there's a lot of, of truth to that and a lot of power to that. And um, it's also interesting because I think it is also kind of created like just to like, kind of reverse engineer it a little bit is that without that relationship Takashi 69 does not even exist yeah. right where you have a guy who's not really a banger who knows how much the bloods have credibility and I do want to say New York bloods that means that the west coast bloods then did all this work and made you know what I'm saying and I know east coast bloods are slightly different but all I'm saying is there's bloods and crips in New York <laughs> and I remember when cats used to touch down and be like, what's a blood or a crip? Bink, boom. Oh, that's what you are. Okay, let me in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, people forget that part. People forget that part. Like, <laughs> I remember I was in, in 87. Mm. I was not graduating high school. I had to go to summer school. And that summer, there was a kid in, in the little clique that I was running with at summer school, you know, a bunch of little knuckleheads. And he always wore blue. And one day, one of the dudes was like, nigga, why are you always wearing blue? What is that? And he was like, oh, man, you know, I come from this area. I don't remember where he came from. But he was like, where I come from, you have to wear blue. And we fell out laughing on the sidewalk. We were like, someone can make you wear blue? That is impossible. He was like, no. He's like, you don't understand. They're cribs. We're like, cribs? Because they in L.A., people, you know, like, if you don't, if you don't know the West Coast, Francisco and like LA and Oakland are like, like right next to each other. There's a big difference, you know what I'm saying, in, in physical distance. And so I was just like, why would anyone allow somebody to make them wear blue all the time? Mm. 
fast forward to when I do a story on Brand Nubian, I go to the Palladium. In fact, I wrote about this incident in the source and, and Mary J. Blige is on the cover. I'm, I got to think. Do you know Grape Street Watts was in the crowd so deep? And if you remember the movie, what was that movie? Uh, the Warriors. Remember that, that gang that had, uh, had the baseball jerseys? Mm-hmm. Bro, it said Grape Street and there was a cluster. They all, a cluster of grapes on the chest embroidered, bro. And they were so deep. And they came with Brand Nubian and the sound man was messing up. Some of the dudes from Grape Street ran to the back of the club, snatched the sound man, gave him what for to make him fix the sound for Brand Nubian. Mm, bro, that was a crazy night. ODB was there. Cam, Cam was there. He performed that night. Bro, like, and so the next day I went to Grape Street Watts. And I interviewed them when they did a video. They did a video. Brand Nubian did a video that they filmed in Grape Street. The whole set was painted purple. Like, all the buildings are painted purple. Dudes was wearing Viking gear, all of this stuff. And I remembered that kid. And I was like, they did make him wear blue. I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> like, yo! Yeah. It, it was, for, for me, it was, surreal. you know, so, for, so my background for your listeners. Yes. From, uh, Tell them where you from, son. Yeah, so so I I was born in Chicago, and in first grade we moved to Compton, California. So my mother, my parents divorced. My mother wants to be an actress. She wants to blow up in Hollywood. Right. And there were, there were these black exploitation movies that were coming out in the early seventies. I'm born the same year as Ice Cube and Diddy and um, Jay Z, right? 1969. Right. right. And so you know we come out to L.A. and you know uh, we live in Compton. My mother's. A friend of the family actually owned an apartment building and no one knew about Compton. We heard it was mm. a suburb of LA. So we're like, oh, mm. suburb of LA? This could be cool. nice. So, so we go there and it's, it's horrible, right? And it turns out it's East Compton. I didn't even know. He said, it turns out it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, but, you know, the thing is that uh, as a first grader, I didn't know how bad things were. My mother mm. used to talk about how terrible it was. So we lived there for about a year, a little, maybe a little over a year. And then from there we moved to, so I learned the to swim at Rosecrans uh, Recreational Center. I went right. to school at Rosecrans Elementary School. So from there, we moved to South Central LA, where I lived most of my young, you know, uh, my, my childhood. We lived at 50th and San Pedro in South Park, and South Park section of South Central, deep in South Central, and on the, on the east side. And uh, the local local gang, like uh, Avalon, Eastside, Fox Trade, Gangsta Crips. They so, don't play. Nah, so they're actually one of the oldest sets. <laughs> he said, nah, <laughs> they yeah, don't play. Uh, but see, so Avalon is one of the oldest sets of Crips, period, right? So when Crips first start, you have, you know, you have these, you know, Crips. This is, you know, ni- we got there still in the 1970s, right? And there, weren't right. Even, there was no Crenshaw Mafia yet. There were a lot of gangs that didn't exist yet, right? Right. And so you have, um, you know, the old school set of Crips. You have some, some um Broadway gangster crips aren't aren't far by some mm. blood some um, Pe- Pebble bishops you know not too far mm. by bishops uh, yeah oh yeah there you go <laughs> your people and so 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 I'm not the, really affiliated do not shoot me the, the, <laughs> yeah good good, uh, good note for the people here man. <laughs> so the thing is that like I was I was intimately familiar with this world right so I had you know deep familiarity with gangsters and. Mm-hmm. You know, first time I ever smoked weed was with some fire tray Avalon Gangster Crips, right? So right, right. first time, you know, I remember I, I uh, 
went down to the swap meet and would get my khakis and crocus sacks, right? And t-shirt khakis and crocus sacks. That's yeah. ice cube, yeah. boy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a well, I don't know about a sweatshirt. I definitely had the khakis and crocus sacks. I had khakis, crocus sacks. We had things called knit kickers, uh, Chuck Taylors. You yeah. call them house shoes, you know? So yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I got them corduroy house shoes. Love it. Yeah, man. And you go, we go to the swap meet and go down, or you go to the Army Surplus store in Manchester and get yeah. some the khakis. So, you know, I was, I was familiar with the game life, but I'd never been. I was a, I'm a good kid. I, right. I in a crazy situation. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, nobody was ever coming to me. Like, I had a little gangster name, smoked weed, drank 40 ounces, wrote my name on the wall. But no, 0% of people were ever coming to me to go put in work. Like, no yeah, people was, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, hey, I'm little homie, like, we about to go let him know over on the other side. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> no, that was not bad. No one was ever coming to me for anything, right? Right. So it was, uh, you know, I was very young, and uh, but intimately familiar with that, that world. So fast forward. We moved out of there when I was about 13 to just – 57th of Vermont. So, so we lived in that, that community, 57th of Vermont, 50th in San Pedro, the heart of South Central. I knew all this stuff. So I go to college. I graduate. I moved to Mid-City. Which so is, what year did you graduate college? Uh, I gra- well, I graduated high school in 87, but I right. graduated college, college in 91. So I moved. Okay. Uh, so after 87, I, I graduated high school, living in, in Mid-City area. And then we moved to, I, I personally went to Morehouse. And so at Morehouse, uh, when I got to Atlanta, uh, hip hop had not at that point in fall of '87. NWA was not out yet, and so I was mm-hmm. raised on New York hip hop, mm-hmm. and like all of us I, were, really, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody yeah. was, right? And so I saw uh, BC Boys at the Hollywood Palladium when they came there, the Lisa Ill tour, and then Run DMC came out as a surprise guest. They were my favorite group of all time. I was so grounded time, when they did that tour, bro. Mm-hmm. I got grounded. My mom's wouldn't let me go when they came to the Bay. It sucks for I you. I was though. hurting. Yeah, you should have been hurt, man. Because, I mean, I remember when we run. I remember that out. tour. You see my face, man? You done, you, you cut me deep. <laughs> it, was, it was, I tell my students this, that, that, you know, we went there to see the Beasties. But when Run DMC came out, and interesting, to, 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 this ties into mm-hmm. our narrative here. Run DMC came to Long Beach earlier, and gangsters went there and acted a fool, started throwing stuff. I remember that. It was in the, that was in the San Francisco Chronicle. It, it, it made national news, right? Mm-hmm. So this is when, when hip-hop was doing big stadium tours, and it was starting to get bigger, starting to get, mm-hmm. you know, but then you have gangsters that, you know, you go there, and like anything in L.A., if you have the L.A. street scene, or you go to Venice Beach, or Santa right. Monica, you can draw people from different sets, and on occasion, people start what they would call set tripping, right? So, right. It, and, and the way it works in L.A., it, which is really fascinating, I, and I tell people these stories, like I used to wear, like I said, I wasn't a... a Hardcore banger, but I did on occasion wear the attire, wore khakis, wore had, yeah, uh, K Swiss like these blue K Swiss. I remember the K Swiss, and I'm at the bus stop at at uh, Western and Slauson in the heart of South Central, and some bloods come to me. No, I'm actually I'm at the bus stop, mind my own business, trying to get home. Right, and some it's broad daylight, right? I'm at the bus stop with my all blue on, right? All like say just- I am a crip. I am. A, listen to me. I am. A, you just needed that in old English on your shirt. Yeah, exactly right. So I'm sitting at the bus stop near these three bloods. I know because they're the way they're talking. Right? They're like, "Hey, hey, blood, this, you know, I'm blood. These bus rash marks. Hey, blood." And so I'm sitting there at the bus stop, like, I'm like, I'm little, I'm like, uh, like Forrest Gump at the bus stop, all proper, <laughs> like waiting for the RTD. And so these dudes come by to me, 
And I'm sitting there like, and, I, and the cat came to my right and he stood over me and I, I knew that I could You knew what it was. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. I was like, well, at this moment, it could be anything from like, just to punk me, like bitch ass crab, what you doing? Right, right. Or they could kill me. And anything right. in between. Either one, anything, it's true. Right? And I knew if I ran, the three of them, right? And I knew if I ran, that, that could like get them more Excite more them, yeah, yeah. But I knew I couldn't pop off like, fuck y'all, slob ass niggas, cuz. <laughs> I, I couldn't do that either, right? Because it was like ridiculous. So I'm sitting there at this bus stop, and this dude came up to me. I swear to God, this is a wild story. So I'm there, and I'm thinking, like, I'm running all these models of what could happen. <laughs> like, yeah, he got the Matrix yeah, weaving like in his that. cranium. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, like, you know, exit possibilities, running through the street. Maybe I could mm-hmm. catch him, you know? I mean, I could, get, I could lose him in the street. So I'm sitting there at the bus stop, and this, he rolls up. He's like, hey, blood, what time is it? I was like, uh, sir, it's about uh, 4.05, sir. He said, all right, then, blood. And he went back, and nothing happened. Swear to God. Like, Ooh, I, was I know you felt touched by an angel, like, bing, bing, bing. I was the most, like, proper. I was the most, like, respectful little motherfucker they probably ever seen. I was calling to do, sir. I was like, sir, it's about a, a 405, sir. And he's like, all right, then, homie. And he walked away. And the thing is, like, it was that it was one of these situations where I, I had seen and been so enveloped in this space. And, you know, I, I have so many, so many stories, like, little yeah. tell you. But the point of this is that, when all this happened and I went to, uh, went to uh, Atlanta and I remember seeing colors come out mm. my freshman year and then seeing all of a sudden people had a national image of, because gangsters in LA and TV shows never looked the way they did in real life. They would have like, it'd be like some cop show like Starsky and Hutch and they'll have some gangsters or something and they'll be like, hey man, we're the dragons. Get off of our turf. You right, know? and it was real New Yorkish kind of yeah, inspired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they have like little leather jackets. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't like West Side G's at all. Yeah, like one Adam 12, they'll grab them or like... <laughs> one Adam 12. See, people don't even know why do you say F12? Because of one Adam 12. You don't even know what it is out here in these streets, youngster. Let the OGs sprinkle you with that info. There you go, man. Like Hawaii so, 5 Yeah, yeah. You don't you even go. think about that. They just yeah. say it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just yeah. trying to... Yeah, there you continue, go. Brother. Continue, brother. I, I like to hear yeah. these West Side stories. Yeah, man. So, so I remember seeing Gangsters now and then coming back... Uh, oh, to go back to the hip-hop thing. So I got to, got to Atlanta. I remember being beholden to, to East Coast hip hop because mm. that's all I had. Mm. And I became political. So I got increasingly political, increasingly conscious. Public Enemy, KRS, X Clan. Yeah, man. I remember like, you know, PE came out. And I came back to came back to LA that at the um, mm. of 88. And my homeboy, uh, Eric, and maybe Eric will see this. Uh, my homeboy, Eric, went over to this other dude's house, uh, Alan, and he had two albums. He had EPMD. Must have been strictly business, and he had uh, NWA Strata Compton. What so a golden this. era. So I was looking at this. I remember PMD, right? And I was like, yo, this is hot. This is what's up. And I, I liked it, right? Right. Then they turned on this uh, NWA. And I, remember, I remember this line where Easy e said, uh, fuck a car. Do a motherfucking walk by. And I was like, Yeah. What? And I was like, and I was looking at them. I was like, yeah. I was waiting for them to be like offended, and they were like, "Yo, this." Is, I was like, "Wait a minute, wait, hold up." I was like, "You know," and we had like a, uh, it was like a, like, it has to be a little record, right? Yeah. Like, wait a minute, that, that, he said, "Fuck a car, do a motherfucking walk by," and they, you know, I'm super black, super military. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're talking about literally killing black people, and I was like, "What the fuck is this shit?" I, and I, I just thought there was like a parody or something. I mm. didn't, I cannot imagine that someone would literally have a song Say that. Right. celebrating the death yeah. of black people. 
And I never, and then all the, the massage, the bitches and hoes, all that kind of stuff. That was new too, because, you know, again, Big Daddy Kane, Rakim. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, EPMD. It was just a different, it was a different them, cultural uh, continuity on the East Coast, man. They didn't, they, they did not rap like we rapped. And they didn't talk about, even when they talked about crack, it was different. When they yeah. talked about gunplay, it was different. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, it never, yeah, it never. It, so people are surprised when I tell them that I'm straight from LA, but I just, yeah. didn't, I never got into the, I never got into, certainly not NWA. I mean, I eventually. That became my whole world, but because. Yeah, we talked about that. Because yeah. I, was, I was from the Bay. I didn't really know LA. Um, we say blood for totally different reasons up here. Um, I, I'm, I said this on another show. I'm going to just say it right now because I don't want to get beat up by nobody and I don't want to get set checked when I come through. I don't want, I don't want, uh, you know what I'm saying? So the reason, the reason in the Bay that this word is used is actually often because of the Black Panthers. And mm. that, you know, when the Panthers would teach the young ones or their kids, the Cubs, right? They would often call them the young bloods, right? So you young bloods need to blah, blah, blah. And that got shortened to bloods. So yeah. in the Bay, we use it all the time. And so when I went to Grape Street, uh, you know, I'm Muslim. I had a big old red, red crescent on my chest because that was like the only way I'm going to live is if they know I'm Muslim. I can't get, you know, I already look like yeah. Steve Urkel. I'm out here claiming I'm down with hip hop. I already know I'm going to just get beaten and jacked. And um, it worked. Mm. And when I would say blood, I'd be like, yeah, blood. There was an OG. I don't even know if he's still there uh elementary he was an og then for 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 grape street and i would say blood and they were all looking at me you know because i came with brand new and i was like why is he always saying blood and i said listen i'm from the bay it's a panther thing it got nothing to do i said so i'm gonna try to not say it but if i say it out of excitement you gotta understand that i don't bang and and because i look like this they was like okay malcolm they was get they gave me the nickname malcolm so they they was they gave me a pass yeah, respect That's but cool. you know what i'm saying but like Man. Dude, you know, it's it's. I remember New Yorkers being so arrogant, man, about their music. Like anyone who went to the AU Center, yeah. I mean, anybody, and you didn't have to go to you know Morehouse or Spelman right, or right. Used to go to Howard, right? Have, but but if you dealt with them, you knew like, anybody from our my our era would say back then the New Yorkers were so provincial. They hated. Yo. you know, and I I was surprised, man, because they never they they wouldn't. Because they, they were the arbiters of what was cool. They had the hot mm -hmm. They came out with hip-hop gear. They came out the slang. They had the, the fade, the box mm -hmm. fades. They had all these things that they brought. They never sort of picked up cultural things from outside. They were the ones who created their own yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We from the home of this. Yeah, exactly. And then when I started seeing them claiming Crip and Blood, that tripped me out. And I never <sighs> thought I would see the day where I would see New Yorkers trying to be down, like claiming Crip and Blood. I mean, and the thing is, like, I've seen these YouTube things where yeah. someone was saying Chris Brown was claiming Blood. All right, right. Uh, uh, some other dude. There's I mean, a couple of them out there. Yeah, like like Lil Wayne. And yeah, yeah. What's this other dude? Uh, Baby from, from what he called. You know, he got that red star tatted on his head or whatever. So I so in one of these I think it was a Vlad interview where Vlad was like he was interviewing somebody who's a real blood. Yeah. I think he might have been a Pyru or something. And so he was saying that uh like like what what hood that what hood are you from? Right. So I mean the thing is like you can't in LA you can't just be like, hey, I'm a blood. I'm a crip. I mean, you know, you you yeah, no you have to be real clear about where you're from. Like when I told you, I said, so is East Side Five Tray. Avalon Gangster Crip. So it's a yeah. whole long name for that shit. Right? You got to so, know exactly what it so is. First off, you know, you from the east side. Right. 
Avalon, Gangster Crypt, Fire Trey, right? So right. there's a whole long thing, and people aren't just Crips, right? Right. I'm or just, hello. I too am a Crip, brother. Yeah, exactly. And so when I start seeing these rappers, you know, doing this, another thing, like I've seen like real gangsters talk about this, is that if they were given the option, they wouldn't be, and, and particularly, at, you know, when you're older, you look back, you mm. see the foolishness and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, who would, who would have access to hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, and then go decide to gangbang, you know? It, it just yeah, yeah. It just seems so ass backward, man. I mean, there are other, other ways to enjoy fraternity. And I tell people all the time, man, like, I joined a fraternity in college, right? Right. I joined an African fraternity called Kemet. And so- Okay, you, tight. Yeah, I mean, you know, we just super African. Yeah, the law, you everything. about that. Yes, sir. My yes, sir. Yeah, there, there you go, exactly, Kemet. So, 42 negative confessions. Boy, I'm in here. I know what's happening. <laughs> oh man, got that knowledge. Well, look at you shining. And so, third eye shine like jewelry. There you go, man. Uh, so there's so many other ways you can find fraternity and friendship and brotherhood and solidarity Word. and all that kind of stuff, other than killing black people. You know? Yeah, and yeah. So that, that, I think that, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, man, you know, when you look at where we are today in hip hop, I mean, hold on. You know, I've done you a massive disservice because we haven't talked about your work at University of Connecticut and, and, and what you've been doing there. So can you please just quickly, you know, tell people outside of this amazing book that you wrote, everybody needs to go on Amazon and cop that, you know what I'm saying? What do what have you been doing at UConn? Because it's a really big deal. It's, it's historic in terms of hip hop education. Like when we talk about hip hop ed, before that hashtag, well, before the technology for the hashtag to exist, you were already doing this. So, Outside of your book, once again, Hip Hop Revolution, Culture and Politics of Rap, which everybody should get on Amazon right now. Um, you know, can you talk about your work at UConn, please? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it turns out that when I, was, when I was in graduate school, there were no hip hop classes. Uh, I was not an ethnomusicology major. I didn't study. I wasn't a cultural historian. I'm a historian mm. of 20th century U.S. African American history. My first book is on the Black Panther Party, looking right. at uh, radical ethnic politics and uh, radical black politics. And so well, I ended up, I got the job at UConn straight out of grad school and right. I had this opportunity to teach a one hour, a one credit, one hour a week class uh, of anything. They, they encouraged us to be very creative. I said, okay. hey, how about a low class on hip hop? This is in And what year was this? 88, that's 1998, 1998. No, okay. And so uh, a, a year later, it turned out that I needed to teach another class for some odd reasons. Uh, I had a class canceled and I, I owed the university a class. Okay. I'm very unhappy with it, but they forced me to teach this other class. But to placate me, they said, Jeff, you can teach anything you want. I said, hell, if I can teach anything I want, I'll teach a class on hip hop. And this was the 99-2000 academic year. It was so rare. This is so rare for someone to teach a class on hip hop at a university that UConn's media sent out a press release. Wow. The source found out about it and did a story on it. And the source in the September 2000 issue of The Source, there's a picture of me, young and dashing and strapping with a head You're full of hair. You're still strapping and dashing. I tried, the record. I tried. <laughs> he in there. But, uh, and this guy's so, like six foot seven or something. He's gigantic. <laughs> you ain't seen him in person, bro. He'll like palm your whole head and like pick you up and move you, bro. Look at you know, that. <laughs> Diesel, son. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, but one of the things is that they did the story. They sent a photographer up to stores, did this uh, this little piece on us. And at the time, it was so uh, again rare. But 
there were a couple classes actually taught on hip hop at the time, but those people who taught those classes, one person went to a different university, another person retired. Right. It turns out now hip hop is taught. There's a hip hop archive at Harvard, as you know. Yeah, at Cornell, at uh, Cornell, UMass Boston, across uh, and the I, country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hip hop is li- hip hop is literally taught in dozens of classes at universities across the country. As of fall of 2020, the class here is the oldest contingency taught class on hip hop in the United States of America. For that Thank matter, you. part of the world, right? So, Can I so, just yeah. say, and, and I mean, like, I say this to everybody who comes on the show, but I, but I, but I always mean it. Like, I want to thank you for your contributions to hip hop and hip hop education because um, it's all groundbreaking, right? It's all groundbreaking. And sometimes I think we forget that when we're inside or when we feel like we're on the outside, right? Thank you for what you've given to hip hop because I know it's not easy. I know there's had to be sacrifices that you've made that we'll never know about and sacrifices some people do know about. And I just want to thank you for all of it because it matters, bro. Like, I mean, I can't imagine in that period of time how many people that you have taught that have gone out to uh, go do things. In fact, I don't remember the woman's name, but a few years ago, I met a woman who was one of your students Mm. and I didn't even know it. Like, it was like, blah, blah. And I don't know how I said your name. And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, I took that club. I was like, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's amazing, bro. That's amazing. It means a lot coming from you. I mean, you came out here. You actually gave a talk. You killed it. There was a a hip-hop week at the University of Connecticut. The students loved it. Thank you. That was so fun, man. A long time. We uh, Peace, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, Apathy, you know. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) No, uh, Wu-Tang, shout out. Yes. So, but, you know, we really have had a, uh, a great experience here. We've had some wonderful uh, folks come through. We've had, um, you know, a lot, a lot of cool things. My, my, one of my highlights was bringing in, in terms of hip-hop folks, mm-hmm. we brought in a lot of people from, right now I'm the, the founding director of the Center for the Study of Popular Music. So we've brought in people who do jazz and uh, pop music and scholars who've studied this kind of stuff and published really fascinating things and documentaries and rock music and a lot of other things. But we actually had Lord Jamar from Band Nubian come through uh, along with Apathy, an underground cat from Connecticut. Wow. And, uh, it was a lot Lord of fun. Jamar and Apathy, that sounds like a, a sick concert and class. I know. And they were together. I'll sign up for that. Yeah, yeah, they were together together, man. It was really cool. And so uh, I'm sitting there as a, as a, you know, I saw I saw my man, the Million Man March in 1995, right? Uh, my man, Lord Jamar. So, of course, he doesn't remember because he, he Right. I mean, it was the Million Man March. There was a lot of brothers that happened to be there that they day. Come up and giving them a pound, right? So <laughs> I'm there. I'm selling like, t-shirts like anti-coon t-shirts like yeah like yeah, yeah, yeah. it had like a a, a coon with a yeah, yeah. that had this whole thing so i'm selling t-shirts i look like AMD. this is uh my man exactly it's like a almost like a KMD joint so i saw my man i was like yo snap that's lord jamar so i went over to him i was like hey you know what's up guy i want to say what's up yeah, yeah. oh he was gracious you know, I remember yeah he lord jamar is hella cool man people yeah, people man. think because of his vlad videos that he's not that cool he's pretty cool man he's smart yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we had, a, I mean, it was, it was a great time. And so being here over the years, we've had, uh, you know, when Prodigy got out of prison and had his brand new, uh, his autobiography was. Yeah. This is in spring of 2011. So Lord, I mean, for Prodigy had just come out of prison for a stint, a few years he was in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. his very second, his first uh, book stop was in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. His very second book tour stop was at stores university wow. Connecticut. i got a chance to interview him in front of a great audience of really engaged uh, fans and so you know being a being a um a fan but also a scholar of hip-hop 
it's been I can't front like the little kid from South Central LA never dude. stops being alive, right? I mean, dude, I was with with my homies back in the day, man, banging nickels on the concrete into quarters into slugs, going to the laundromat to get two dollars a nickel. My guy, right? Get like you know four hundred percent profit, right? And so. My God. I know it's terrible, man. So don't do that, kids. Do not. Yeah, stay away from that. Yeah. Get so, into cryptocurrencies uh, now. <laughs> I mean, what can I what can I hustle gives you a four hundred percent return like that, man? You know, we say and so this is the kind of stuff that we were doing, but you know, it was nonviolent and we figured it was that, nonviolent. It was a white collar crime. It's okay. <laughs> there you go, man. You know what I'm saying? Seriously. You made stuff. more than seven hundred and fifty dollars, I bet. <laughs> Probably not. Like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm know, just know, being know. stupid. Hey. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was. I, I do thank, um, you know, I, I thank God that I've had an opportunity to enjoy what I've, I've done professionally and, you know, get a chance to. Before I say this, I know we run out of time, man, but for years I read your byline, right? So I remember Adisa Banjoko. So I know, you know, my best friend, as you know, his name is Adisa. So yeah. the name always stuck out because, you know, dude's a writer as well. So yeah. it was really cool to, to see your name in different publications over the years and then get a chance to share a panel with you. That was and, so cool. You know, it's one of the things I've enjoyed about this profession, man. Really getting yeah. a chance No, I, th- I think that, you know, um, When I think about me being 13, begging my parents for uh, a mixer and a reverb, you know, so that I could, that I could be a DJ because I saw it in Beach Street. I wanted it. You know, I knew that, mix, I, I, I knew that people made mixtapes, but I didn't see what it, the setup was until Beach Street. And my dad got me uh, a, a reverb and a mixer. My mom took me to, to Radio Shack. You know what I'm saying? My dad hooked it up. And he just from knowing electronics and watching Beach Street, he knew how to scratch. Like my father taught me how to scratch. That's hella deep. You know, he's like, what, what, what? so you can do that. And what it was is that I had, the first hip hop single that I had was I think Rocket on 45, you know, by Herbie Hancock, Hancock. right? But I knew you needed the 12s to make it happen. Cause I, I by this time I had actually knew a friend who had a setup. So I kind of knew what I needed, but so I had this Eddie Murphy's first comedy record. Uh, he's on the cover and he has a rose in his hair. I don't mm, know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I took that and, and see, go, and in the very beginning of the, the skit, he says, everybody just wants me to do buckwheat. And he goes, he's imitating a white guy. He goes, do buckwheat. So I would just scratch. I'll be in my room just going buckwheat, buck, 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 buckwheat, buck, buckwheat, buck, buck, buckwheat. Yeah. And so like, that was my beginning to, to imagine that getting me to this conversation on this podcast after having spoken at so many universities and written so many articles and have to be able to travel and meet so many people, man, like, you know, I try to tell young people, like, when you think about hip hop, don't just think about it as like a pastime. Like you could actually make a decent living, not as a rapper, right? You could make it, you could be a hip hop attorney, right? Representing yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. You could, you yeah. could, you could be a fashion designer. You could be a videographer. Like, you know, how many things did hip hop have to create on its own? You know what I mean? And so I hope that anyone listening, whether an adult or young, think about if you love hip hop and you want to thrive in it, there are lots of different ways. You know what I mean? And those ways morph in time, right? Cause like the hip hop journalism has totally changed, right? Like the source rap pages, you know what I'm saying? All that stuff isn't the same, right? Yeah, but there's yeah. still hip hop writing and there's this different ways to document it, man. So I want to thank you again. I want to remind everybody to, uh, you know, 
wait a minute. How do people get a hold of you? Because I don't even think you're on IG. How do, how, how, do nah, you exist? Man. I know, man. My social media joins my game is whack, man. So I am on Twitter finally. It was like, it, it took me <laughs> like, you know, hella years to get around to it. But, but yeah, I'm on Twitter, you know, Facebook, UConn. We have a, we have a, uh, I have a multiple websites at UConn. The main What's your Twitter is, handle? Uh, Professor Ogbar. P, no, Prof Ogbar. P-R-O-F. Okay. O-G-B-A-R. Prof Ogbar. Cool, so, man. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm out there, man, like that. Um, yeah, man, check the book out, you know, Hip Hop Revolution. It's been- It's, it's been so out. good. It's done well. I, I'm proud of it, man. We, uh, we do good stuff here at UConn. We've studied other genres of music, of course. And, yep. uh, but hip hop has always been near and dear. Yeah. Uh, the class is going strong, man. We have 50 students in the class right now. It's a lot of fun. Really sharp students doing great, fast, fascinating research. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, man, it's, it's really good, man, being on the show and seeing hip hop's continued maturity. Yeah. Well, man, thank you again for being on the show. Uh, appreciate you. Um, and, uh, man, um, don't stop doing what you're doing because it's important. I mean, you're, you're a real pioneer of, of hip hop education. Um, you're an authentic scholar. Um, of hip-hop and, and, and history and beyond, quite frankly. And, you know, um, in these days, in these times, um, to have access to a thinker like you means a lot to a, to a man like me. It's an honor. It's an honor, man. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. You're always sure. doing great stuff out sure. there. Bro. Thank you, man. West All Coast, right. you know what it is. Bishop Chronicles, we out, boy! Teacher, what star is that? Now listen.